today, my friends. I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You ever hear of that guy, Paul Harvey? Man, when that guy came on, didn't you say, shh, and turn up the radio? That guy had a way of telling a familiar story in an unfamiliar way. I mean, I remember uh, hearing how he talked about this guy who uh, worked in a bar. He made this uh, agreement with this guy, and he was just a barkeep, you know? But it only lasted a couple of weeks. He said, I don't want to get out of this stuff. And lo- come to find out this, this guy died that he made a, 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 a contract with. And, uh, and he gets his summon to come to court. He's being sued for all of the bills that were accumulated and uh, it's, it's really an astounding story, you know? He goes before the judge. He says, hey, I was there a couple of weeks and I left. Why am I here? And the judge says to him, you should know the law better before you sign these agreements, my friends. And he was sued for what would be in our dollar amount today hundreds of thousands of dollars. But he took the words of those, that judge And he says, you know what? I'm going to learn the law. And he became a lawyer. And after a while watching his country, he became a politician. And he became the 16th president of the United States. And now you know, say it with me, the rest of the story. (laughs) Friends, that is what we are looking at today. When the world looks at the church, you know what it sees? These buildings with a cross on the top. Oh, and we make much of the cross. Our Savior Jesus, the very Son of God, went to this cross. He was nailed to this cross. He was not nailed in the palms, my friends. It was in the wrist. And there was a nerve that goes in there. And when he hung on that cross, he was suffocating. It wasn't just agony of the arms, my friends. He was being paralyzed and choked to death. And he was there because of you. But mostly me. (laughs) It's because of our sin, my friends. He was there because of his great love for us. We make much about the cross. That we might be forgiven. That we might be reconciled to God. And then we mumble. And he rose from the dead. And we think about the resurrection the same way that we would think about someone that we love that was passed on. My mother or my father, my friends, if they rose from the dead, I would be shouting in the streets. And we think, yay, they're not dead anymore. And we'd miss it. If that's the way you see the resurrection of Jesus, you have missed it. So take a look in our passage here today where we discover the rest of the story. In verse 1, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He's about to uh, talk to them about the resurrection. And you know how he gets there? Take a look where we discover first and foremost the resurrection is foundational to Christianity. We don't mumble that Jesus is risen from the dead, my friends. 
Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And there's that word, and it simply means the good news. And you know the good news, don't you? And Paul is going to, in the one place in all of Scripture where the gospel is clearly laid out and defined. Not parts of it, not references to it, but this is it. Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received and in which you stand. number of verbs connected here. They heard it, they received it, and they are standing in it. And look at the result of that. Verse 2, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And here's another verb, unless you believed in vain. If the word believe is a bucket, my friends, that in that bucket is the word received and taking a stand, holding fast, they heard the gospel. They accepted it as true, and my friends, they believed it. And they held on to it strongly. Now, what is that message? Well, my friends, the resurrection is foundational to Christianity. It is the message that you must believe in order to be saved. If you are ever to be forgiven of your sins and acceptable to God, you need to know clearly what the truth is and respond to it as God demands that you respond to it. Because the resurrection is foundational to Christianity. It is one of two essential messages in the gospel. Look at verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance. Paul says, the very first and most important thing that I told you was not about Abraham and what kind of socks he wore, but it was the gospel. Okay, it doesn't say that, but you get the point. For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received. And here it is. Notice the phrases that Christ died for our sin. Phrase number one. That is the cross. That is what we proclaim to the world. That Christ died for our sins. But take a look. He continues. And do you know what he does? He adds a phrase to that. As support to the fact that this was nothing new. He says, according to the scriptures. What are the scriptures he's talking about? My friends, he's in the business of, <laughs> of writing the New Testament. The Spirit of God is using him now to write this out. He's talking about the Old Testament. Friends, this is nothing new that the Messiah would come and die for our sins. And so, my friends, first phrase, Christ died for our sins, just like the Bible said. And then evidence of the fact that he died. And what is the evidence of the fact that Christ died? They buried him. Now, that's pretty good evidence, right? Why? Hear me carefully. We don't bury live people. Clear? Very good. I don't know what your plans were this afternoon, but my friends, he was buried. And then comes this second phrase. The first, that Christ died for our sin. The second is that he was raised on the third day. 
Then here it comes. According to the scriptures, just like the Bible said. And then guess what comes the evidence? And here it is. And my friends, this is eight buckets full. Look at verse 5. And what is the evidence that Christ rose from the dead? The resurrection is confirmed by eyewitnesses. Verse 5 tells us that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And most of them, Paul writes here, are still alive. Go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep. Here in verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And whether then it was I or they, or so we preached, and so you believed, that is the only acceptable response to the gospel. My friends, you are not forgiven by God simply because Christ died for your sin and you nod your head to it. You are not forgiven and reconciled to God for simply accepting it as true. Standing in it, holding firm to it, does that sound like a simple nod of the head to you, my friend? It is the grasping onto it, holding it firm. This is what I am depending, trusting upon for me to be reconciled to God. It is based on his word according to the scriptures. You are saved by grace through faith. It's Ephesians 2.8. And so there it is, the gospel that Christ died for our sin and was raised from the dead. Did you hear that raised from the dead thing? Resurrection Sunday, my friends. The resurrection is foundational to Christianity. You take away the resurrection, my friends, and everything crumbles. I've often referred to this as the linchpin to Christianity because nothing else matters if Christ is not risen from the dead. And Paul continues here in verse 12 and says the very same thing. He says, if Christ is not raised, go home, watch TV. Look at this, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, and not even Christ has been raised. And there's the issue. There were people in this church, Corinth, who didn't believe in the resurrection. There are people today who believe that the dead are not raised. And Paul says, do you realize the implication of such a belief? He says, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. 
here in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You are wasting your time, my friends. You're wasting your time. And here, verse 15, Paul says, and we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, my friends, then our faith is futile. Our faith is worthless. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And you will still stand before God and he will cast you into hell. You see how important the resurrection is, my friends? Because if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are in serious trouble. As a matter of fact, look at verse 18. He says, if Christ is not raised, there is no hope. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You know what he said there? That believing mom or grandmother of yours or that friend that you studied the word of God with and they died, they are gone. And that is it. There is no hope, there is no reunion, there is nothing if Christ is not raised from the dead. Are we clear yet? <laughs> My friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. And look at here in verse 20. Paul begins to tell us now what we do have because Christ is raised. Verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he uses this term, the first fruits. And you know what that means? Well, it has something to do with the word first. He is the first of many who will be raised, because he is raised from the dead, then you and I will be raised from the dead. And I want to tell you why that matters. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to lay it out. He says, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that term is particularly focused on those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have fallen asleep. That's the sleep of a believer, the death of a believer is like sleep. In what way? Because you're going to wake up one day. And look at there in verse 21. For by a man came death. He's talking about Adam. Well, Adam in the garden. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect paradise. If they ever had doors, they did not include locks. And do you know why? No sin. Imagine a world today in which you don't have a garage door except to keep the rain out. All those tools and all of the things that you have in your garage, you make sure that they're wide open so if your neighbor needed to borrow your hammer, they could get in without any problem. 
I mean, what if somebody was driving by and saw something and said, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I needed to accomplish the task. And they just go in and leave a note. And you know what? You're happy about that because you have something you can share that is absolutely unlike anything you experience on this planet. But that is paradise. No sin. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to try to remember what you said earlier so you can say the same thing and continue to deceive the people around you that you say you care about. But the moment Adam said, you know what I want? Let's forget about what God wants for a moment. He said, hey, have anything you want. See this tree over here with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Don't eat that fruit. He didn't say you can't play ring around the rosy. He didn't say you couldn't build a tree house in it if you wanted to. He didn't say you couldn't make little paper airplanes and try and get them stuck in the branches. He says, don't eat the fruit. Yeah, but do you know what I want? And he lost everything. And because he lost it for all of mankind, you and I live in a world of sin. And we contribute our own parts, don't we? My friends, in the same way that sin entered the world and everyone has the penalty of sin in them and it is death. So for by a man, that's Adam, came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, one day you will rise from the dead. One day every believer that you have ever known will rise from the dead. And we will be gathered together forever. And we will ever be with the Lord. So everyone. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 23, the church will rise from the dead. Look at verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. In other words, he rises from the dead first. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. That Christ will meet us in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will join them together in the air. That is the rapture. Resurrection. Here in verse 24 we see the Old Testament saints will rise from the dead. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God. Our kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Wait a minute, are we studying the book of Revelation here? Because that's exactly what Paul is talking about. It is plain that he is accepted who put in all things subjection under him. Talking about Jesus. But when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. My friends, what has God provided for us in this resurrection? The fact that we will rise from the dead. Jesus 
kick the door open, my friends. And because of it, we have great encouragement. Look at verse 29. I mean, Paul referencing a couple of things going on in the church. He says, otherwise, I mean, why do people mean being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, there's a difficulty about this verse, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. The first view on this verse is that there were people in this, this church that thought, you know, you could be baptized for someone else that had already, oh, I never got baptized. Would you, who would be willing to be baptized for them? That ain't the way it works, my friends. And some suggest that Paul is simply using that as, what's the point then? If people aren't raised, who cares what happens to the dead? The end is the end, right? And other people think he is talking about the fact that baptism itself represents the death and resurrection of Christ and the new life that comes to us by faith in Christ. It is though we were dead in our trespasses and sins but we are alive in Christ. But what would be the point if Christ is not risen? And so, my friends, point number two for Paul here is, why are we in danger every hour? Again, if the, Christ, if the, the dead are not raised, then when you're dead, you're dead. And what difference does it make? He's going to say it in a very clear way in just a moment. He says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I die every day. I mean, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? They threw him into the lions, my friends. He says, what, what is the point of, of being willing to sacrifice a thing for Christ if the dead are not raised? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. I always wondered where that came from. And there's Paul sarcastically saying that if there is no resurrection, it doesn't matter a thing what you do here. As when you're dead, you're dead. But Paul says here in verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. You know what he just said? There are people in your circle of influence that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And no one has even told them the gospel. And Paul says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. But my friends, here is the blessing of resurrection. We are not all that we will be. Resurrection is not reconstruction, my friend. It's a new world. Look at verse 35. But someone will ask, well, I mean, if the dead are raised, how are they raised? Take a look. Paul says, how are the dead? Well, with what kind of body do they come? And he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This is just like the seeds, right? You put them in the ground, they die. And then up comes the fruit. 
whether it be a flower or wheat or corn or pumpkins, <laughs> whatever it might be. And that's what he says here. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. I'm sorry, there's one kind for humans, another for animals. Another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. And there is the glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. For a star difference differs from the star in the glory. He says, this body that you have is the seed you are not all that you will one day be by faith in Jesus Christ. You will have a new body. And he's going to talk about that, what that looks like. He says here in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Who is sown, or what is sown is perishable. But what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. Thus the term glorified bodies. You will have a body that is similar in appearance to what you look like. In other words, you will be recognized. You won't look like Brad Pitt or some other crazy thing. You know, you're going to look like you, but in a whole new way. I suppose the difference of between when you were seven and when you were 17. Same person, but different. But in a greater way, my friends. In a much greater way. Thus it is written, verse 45, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Natural life, spiritual life. And then here in verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. We will be changed, my friends. There will nobody be limping in heaven. No constant pain in the hips or the head or the elbow or whatever it might be, my friends. Those days will be gone. In the same way that we lost paradise, we will gain glory. That is the significance of the resurrection, my friends. And ultimately, and here is the climax of his argument, my friends, that we are not all that we will be because finally death has been defeated. Paul says, behold, behold, 
I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. I don't know if that's this generation, but when Jesus comes, the dead will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, I don't know who that's going to be. But there will be a day that those who are alive will be changed. Behold, I tell you, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And what's that going to look like, you know, a six-week process? Not at all. Take a look. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must be put in immortality. And death will be no more. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. My friends, when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death for all who trust him. The worst on your horizon by faith in Jesus Christ feels like nothing but a nap. Because Jesus rose from the dead, so will you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So my friends, Paul gives us some application. Here in verse 57, he says, be grateful for what Jesus has accomplished. You know what Resurrection Sunday ought to look like? A whole lot of gratitude. Because Christ rose from the dead we will rise. But, be thank, be, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that ought to shore up a whole lot more commitment to living out this faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and fruitful. Look at here. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And ultimately be hopeful. All of these things knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It is not a waste of time. We need to get at it. Christ is risen from the dead. That is why you will one day spend an eternity in the presence of God on a new earth designed for us to live, to rule as Adam and Eve should have ruled over that earth and over themselves, to live in fellowship with one another, to not have opinions about people. You know what I'm talking about. When sin is gone, and all of this is possible because Christ was raised from the dead. You say, hey, the cross is enough. Good, you're forgiven until you're dead. 
and then you're done. Christ was raised for the dead, that there might be forever in our hearts. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and rose from the dead.